At the InfoSecurity Europe conference in London this spring, cybersecurity expert Eric Cole is being inducted into the InfoSecurity Europe Hall of Fame. The former chief technology officer of security provider McAfee and chief scientist and government defense contractor Lockheed Martin, Dr. Cole runs Secure Anchor Consulting and is an instructor and fellow at the IT security educational organization, the SANS Institute. I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Cole to discuss some of the pressing concerns in today's cybersecurity environment. Congratulations. Eric, and welcome. Thank you so much. Besides advising top companies about IT security and teaching about it at SANS, you've published books about hackers, the insider threat, the advanced persistent threat, and even one called the Network Security Bible. How would you characterize the current state of cybersecurity today, especially from the perspective of the IT security practitioner in the trenches? As we all know, it seems every day, every week, large organizations are being compromised and when we find out how they're compromised, it often shocks us. Like, for example, with one of the recent retail organizations, I'm still flabbergasted that you have an HVAC server that controls the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning, has direct access to their point-of-sale systems. I mean, you listen to something like that, and it just blows your mind of how could we be making such basic mistakes and when I look across the field of security, it seems like organizations still want that silver bullet. They're looking for that product or technology that they can buy, throw on their network, snap their fingers, and instantly be secure. And we just have to accept the fact it doesn't exist. If you want to have good security, it's really back to the basics. If you step back and look at what has to be done, in almost all these breaches, it comes down to three fundamental things. Asset identification, configuration management, and change control. If you don't know what assets are plugged into your network, you can't protect them. If you don't know how they're configured, you don't know if they're vulnerable. And if changes occur without you understanding or realizing what's happening, you're not going to be able to understand the implication it has on security. So I always go back to my customers and say, take a little quiz. Give yourself a grade. Right now in your organization, A being the highest and F being the lowest, how would you grade your organization on asset identification? How would you grade your organization on configuration management? And how would you grade your organization on change control? If you're getting below a C in any or all of those areas, you're missing out on the foundational things that are needed to protect your environment because all the other technology isn't going to be effective if those three things are not in place as a foundation to implement effective security. Why do you suspect organizations who have smart people working for them with IT security backgrounds don't know what the assets are out there, don't know, how to, don't know about configuration management? I think there are several reasons. One, I think security folks have so much pressure on them and they're running around putting out so many fires that they don't have time to actually step back and focus in on those foundational items that need to be done. Second, and I know it's a topic that's come up a lot, is I don't think there's a conduit from the smart engineers in the trenches to the executives to understand where the problem is or where the issue is. With many organizations, when we go in to work with them, the engineers are fully aware of the problems. When I sit there and I tell them, you don't know what devices are plugged into your network, you don't know how they're configured, they say, absolutely, we agree. But when you talk to the executives and you brief them, they have no idea how bad the problem is and where the issues are. So I think the challenge is, how do you go in and create metrics that tie back to those core areas 
that the executives can understand, and then how do you create a conduit to make sure the executives are getting those metrics and understand their report card to see where their exposures and vulnerabilities are. Do these metrics tie in how successful the business is doing by analyzing the security of the organization? Are the metrics like that? Absolutely. There's many metrics you can pick. The Australians have the top four. You're talking about the security controls, right? Right. So, so yeah, they pick top four, which are patching operating systems, patching applications, controlling administrative access, and application whitelisting. You could also go in and you have the top 20, which are actually hundreds of subcontrols that focus in on granular items. And what I find works so well is if you go in and grade each department on how well they're implementing a handful of these metrics and then also overlay the number of incidents per department, what almost always happens is when you look at the departments that are scoring the lowest in complying with those metrics, they always have the highest number of incidents and the organization or departments that have the lowest number of incidents often are getting the highest score on being compliant. And when you present a chart like that to the executives, it clicks. They understand that that's the type of information they want to see and understand a correlation between increased incidents and decrease in security. You mentioned that those that are implementing these controls have the highest level of compliance. What is the relationship between compliance and actual security? Because you often hear, I hear this in the government sector, where IT security practitioners are saying, well, you know, we're, we're doing our best to secure things. And when we get audited and we get graded low because we're not complying, well, we're focusing on the security. So what is that relationship? To me, compliance gives focus and attention to security. But what compliance does is it sets the guardrails. It sets sort of the max and mins of what you need to be doing. But security needs to be built based on what are the critical assets, the critical information, the threats and the vulnerabilities. And then compliance is used to make sure that you stay within those guardrails. Because what can happen is you can be compliant but not be secure because any of these compliance or regulations that are out there have to be written broad enough so they apply to a large number of organizations. If you said, Eric, all you have to do is be compliant and figure out the most creative way of doing it, I could easily get an organization to meet all the regulations and not be very secure. So the trick is security needs to lead compliance and then make sure that you're staying within the parameters of what they're specifying. And then you can meet both security and compliance together. But you have to allow security to be led by risk to your critical assets. And what I always tell my clients, it's a simple but effective exercise, is take a piece of paper and break it into three columns. The first column lists what are your critical assets and the business processes that support them. The second column is what are the threats that have the highest likelihood. And then the vulnerabilities, the third column are the vulnerabilities that have the biggest impact based on the threats and the critical assets. By doing that chart, what you're now doing is you're identifying where you're exposed are based on the threats to what the critical information is to your organization. And then that third column, vulnerabilities, becomes your roadmap of what you have to implement. And now what you're doing is you're aligning or focusing security in the areas that really matter. Of course, you need to have executive leadership beyond the IT security and IT group. Speaking to that, I, I was talking the other day with Thad Allen, the former U.S. Coast Guard commandant, who's now an executive vice president at the business advisory firm Booz Allen at Hamilton. And he explained why Booz Allen has his chief information officer reporting to its chief information security 
officer, a role reversal in most organizations. Uh, what do you think about that uh, arrangement? I think that's awesome because what, one of the things I've been pushing a lot is in many organizations, the CISO, the security officer, is buried under the CIO. And I know there's a lot of people that think that makes sense. The problem is the CIO's main role and function, if you really boil it down, is uptime and availability. That's really what their focus has and will always be. And if you bury security under that, it becomes secondary. And in many cases, bad decisions are made because if the CIO main function and responsibility is primarily uptime availability and security is a secondary function, if there's a conflict, then typically uptime availability wins. And whenever anybody pushes back, my best case study is pick any organization that's been breached. Every one of the organizations that's been breached had the CSO either non-existent or buried under the CIO. So if we want to let data drive decisions, it's clearly not working. The information is not making it up to the decision makers. So I always push that the CIO and CSO need to be peers. They need to be equally represented and have a uh, voice into the executive team so then the executives can understand and hear both sides. What Booz Allen has done is even more extreme, which I love it, is switch it. If the real focus is on securing, protecting the environment, then really uptime availability is a subset of that and therefore let the CIO report to the security officer and let them truly be responsible for confidentiality, integrity, availability, the CIA triad, in which availability is what the CIO has to do. So that's one of the three tiers of that security model. I think that we're a way off from getting there, but I love what they're doing, and I think it makes a whole lot of sense of flipping it on its side so this way security is really the priority reporting up to the executives. You're an American who's been being conducted into Info Security Europe Hall of Fame, which says a lot about how how cyber is global. What are some of the unique challenges IT security professionals face in protecting data systems and privacy globally? One of the the biggest challenges is every country has different laws regulating what can or cannot be done from a cyber perspective. And the problem is the internet has no boundaries. So if I physically travel around the world, like when I go over to InfoSec Europe, I'm going to have to clear customs in the UK and I'm going to clearly cross a boundary and know that I'm in a new country with new laws. And if I don't follow those laws, I can get myself in a lot of trouble. Well, the problem with the internet is you literally can traverse international boundaries without even realizing it, be crossing international boundaries and have those laws and regulations apply to you and not even realize where in the world you're located. As we continue to progress, the fact that we have a diverse set of laws regulating what can and cannot be done on the internet, yet there's no clear boundaries, that's one of the big challenges. We see organizations, especially with cloud providers, go in and have data that's import or export restricted by a particular country loaded on a local cloud provider, and little do they know that cloud provider is backing up that data to a foreign country, and that country is actually violating or has different laws, and by their data being inadvertently backed up to an alternative country, they're now in violation of several international laws, and they don't even realize it. So I think that's one of the big challenges we see out there is there's still not a universal cooperation on the laws, which makes it really difficult for defenders to prosecute and makes it really easy for the adversary to slip under the radar. 
So what can IT security professionals do to protect themselves until these laws, international laws come about? And I suspect that may be a long time coming. Some of it, and I know when I first say this to people, it seems to violate everything they've been taught over the years, but what I always say is drastic times require drastic measures. You can, for the most part, tell what country certain traffic is coming from. Many businesses do not need to be able to communicate with every country in the world. If you go in and look at legitimate traffic where it should be going, it's usually a limited subset of countries. So one of the first things we do is organizations need to do a better job of restricting and controlling where their traffic goes. If you're not doing any business in the United States, in Russia, or in China, then you should be blocking all inbound and outbound traffic going to those locations. And as simple as it sounds, one of the big things that we do with our clients is all inbound and all outbound traffic has to go through proxies and those proxies examine, track, control, and monitor what's coming in and what's going out. And if you go in and have everything coming in and leaving your organization going through controlled proxies, now you can start to get your arms around the problem, limit control and manage what hostile information is coming in and most importantly, what information is leaving that environment. So when you speak at InfoSecurity Europe where you're getting this honor, what are you going to tell the delegates there? very similar to what we've been talking about is knowledge is power. You need to understand what your critical information is. You need to know what the threats are to that information and where the vulnerabilities are. That chart with those three columns is a really good starting point. Then most organizations are focused in on inbound traffic. But one of the things we have to accept today is no matter what we do and no matter what we implement, your organization is going to be targeted it is going to be broken into and it's going to be compromised. So detection is even more important than it ever was. Prevention is ideal, but detection is really where you want to focus your energy. And the trick is looking at the outbound traffic. Instead of looking at what's coming in, look at what's leaving. And one thing I found to be very, very powerful are three metrics. If you go in and look at the length of the connection, the number of connections, and the amount of data leaving your environment, and you determine what that normal ratio is, when we find systems that are compromised with C2's command and control channels, they almost always deviate those three areas. So if you now start looking at the outbound traffic and looking for IP addresses that have an excessive number of connections, very long connections with large amounts of data, that's going to be very, very indicative of compromised boxes, and that's where we have to put a lot more energy. Trying to prevent attacks is good, but the real focus today in winning is recognizing you will be compromised and find, detect, and stop those systems as quickly as possible and minimize and control the damage. Thank you, Eric. Oh, my pleasure. I've been speaking with the newest inductee into the InfoSecurity Europe Hall of Fame, Eric Call. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.